Had plenty of time to find it, right? Let's read the psalm together. The Bible says to the chief musician, a psalm and song of David, Praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion, and unto thee shall the vow be performed. O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest, and causest to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. By terrible things in righteousness wilt thou answer us, O God of our salvation, who art the confidence of all the ends of the earth, and of them that are afar off upon the sea, which by his strength setteth fast the mountains, being girded with power which stilleth the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the people. They also that dwell in the uttermost parts are afraid at thy tokens. Thou makest the outgoings of the morning and the evening to rejoice. Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided for it. Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the furrows thereof. Thou makest it soft with showers. Thou blessest the spring thereof. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness, and thy paths drop fatness. They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered over with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing. Let's pray. Father, I love you this evening. I thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. Lord, I pray for these prayer requests that we have. I ask you to please uh, be with Miss Ramona, Lord. I pray that you would uh, take care of her. I pray that we'd get some good news from the biopsies, Lord, and that in the meanwhile you'd give her comfort and strength and give the same to Dave and bless Andrew, Lord. And then, Lord, I also pray for Mrs. Ferguson, God. I ask you to continue to heal her up and uh, get her back on her feet, God, and give her peace and comfort, give her a good night's sleep. Uh, help the fears and the and the anxiety, Lord, to be put down, and may your presence be very real for her. And I ask you also to make it very real for us tonight. As we're going through this passage of Scripture, God, please speak to our hearts and give us something that will help us out a little bit in serving you. We pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, Psalm 65 is a millennial psalm. It's a psalm about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And I want to say I'm looking forward to that day. A uh, day is coming when Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign on this earth, and that's a big deal to me. I was actually thinking about this today in preparation for this message. Uh, i got to admit, this may be wrong uh, uh, from some kind of a theological viewpoint, but i got to admit, to me, I'm a little bit more looking forward to the millennium than I am eternity future. And, and I think the reason for that is because I relate to the millennium more. Uh, the millennium is going to be on this earth, the same one that we're on right now. It's just that it's going to be restored. It's not going to be just like it is. There's going to be peace on earth. The weird thing about it is there still will be sin here. There still will be people rebelling against God. There still will be some death, but that'll be happening to people that aren't doing right. People that are resisting the Lord. People that aren't obeying what's obviously there for them to do. And the beauty is you and I don't have to worry about it. We're not going to die. Uh, your family members aren't going to die. You're not going to get sick. You're going to be in your glorified body, transformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ with his mind and a body like his, living here on this earth for a thousand years. I think that's another piece of it that I relate to. You're still in time. You get out into eternity future, you're not in time anymore. I, I can't really relate to that. Does that make sense to you? I, I can't grasp that. There's a lot more in the Bible that tells us what's going to be going on in the millennial kingdom than there is in the Bible that tells us what's going on in eternity future. So it's kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around or even look forward to something that I'm kind of in the flesh not sure about. You understand what I'm saying? But there's a lot I'm sure about when it comes to the millennial kingdom. I mean, I think it's just going to be a phenomenal time to be on this planet, man. It's going to be exciting. I look forward to working without ever laboring. I mean, enjoying the work of my hands. I look forward to that, like, just, I, I, here's what I think is going to happen, all right? I think this is going to happen. I, this just, I could be wrong. I think I'm going to have a pack of wolves. I've always been fascinated with them. I know I'm a pastor, and it's terrible that I'm fascinated with wolves. I almost feel guilty about it because, you know, wolves among the sheep and all that thing. But wolves are one of my favorite animals. I'm fascinated with wolves. I think God's going to let me have a pack of wolves. You know what else I'd like to have right kind of sitting out in front of my property? 
I'd like to have a great big old giant monster lion on one side of the driveway and a monster lion on the other side of the driveway. Now, my wife won't let me get stone lions for our house at this point, or I would, but I'm not talking about stone ones. I'm talking about real ones. <laughs> You're going to walk into my living room, and there's my lion. He's going to be laying there. You know I mean, that's just so cool. Lions are also my second favorite. Or I think lions are first and wolves are second. My second favorite would be wolf. First favorite would be lion. I'm going to have pet lions. That's the millennial king. Do you think I'm crazy? Some of you like snakes. Nobody, okay, we got one that likes snakes. I'm glad I didn't just say what I was going to say. Oh, there's another one up in back. We got a couple snake lovers. You'll be able to have some pet snakes. Go to the book of Isaiah. Let me show you something real quick. Go over to Isaiah. Here in Psalms, turn to the right to the book of Isaiah. Look at Isaiah chapter number two. Snakes are the devil. You understand? I'm not scared of very many things. I don't freak out about spiders and all that. I mean, I don't like spiders, but, I don't, but snakes, man, those things are something else. I don't, I don't like snakes. Isaiah chapter number 2, look at verse number 4. He shall judge among the nations. This is the Lord when he's reigning on this earth. And shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. There won't be any armies preparing for battle. You won't have to worry about having a gun in your house. You won't have to lock the doors. Say, hey, actually, why don't you take the metal you got in that gun and use it for something profitable so you can plow your fields and reap the harvest. And by the way, it's work without labor. And you're going to love it. Can you imagine living in a world where you really don't have to worry about war at all? You don't ever have to worry about your wife, your daughter. You don't ever have to worry about getting ripped off or stole from or held up or jumped. You don't have to worry about any kind of violence whatsoever. And you get in, you're in the perfect world. Can you imagine that? That's what it's going to be like when he's reigning on this earth. Go over to, the book of, to, to chapter 11 in the book of Isaiah. Chapter 11 and look at verse number 8. I'm telling you, the millennium is going to be an awesome time, man. I really do look forward to it. Isaiah chapter 11, and look at verse number 8. Uh, uh, chapter 11 and verse number 4. I'm sorry, I want to back up. Don't start in 8. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. The right And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Can you imagine that? I mean, having a leopard. How many of you got cats? Come on, I won't hold it against you. We got some cat lovers in the house? Those things are nothing compared to what you're going to get in the millennium. You're going to get a real one. A leopard. Wouldn't that be cool? Be all right, wouldn't it? If you didn't have to worry about it eating you. Look at verse number seven. The cow and the bear shall feed together. The cow and the bear shall feed. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the, like the ox. And the sucking child shall play upon the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the cockatrice den. Poisonous snakes. And they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. He's saying when the earth, even the animals and the, and the fruit of the ground and the human beings and all, the, all whatever other beings God has, when the earth is full of the knowledge of God, this is the peace and the praise and the joy and the excitement and the lack of fear and the tameness and all that that you have. Little kid can come walking up to you with a western diamond back and looking at that thing and that thing, instead of hissing, that thing's licking her face. And you're like, oh, where'd you find him? Can you imagine that? And it's the knowledge of God that actually does that. You know what's wrong with our country? You know what's wrong with our world? It's a lack of the knowledge of God. You know what's so wrong in the churches nowadays? It's a lack of the knowledge of God. What's wrong in churches 
is we don't know God like we ought to know God. And what becomes wrong in your life is you have a lack of the knowledge of God. There's a lack of the presence of God. And what we need is more knowledge of God. If we had more knowledge of God, then we would do a whole lot better in this short life in which we live. Go back to Psalm chapter 65, if you would, please. Notice something in verse number 1. He says, Praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Sion. And unto thee shall the vow be performed. Here's what I noticed about that. I found it was interesting. It says, praise waiteth for thee. It's almost as though he's not getting the praise that he deserves. It's like he's writing this down. He's saying, listen, God, I know you deserve some praise. I know who you are. I recognize your goodness. I know what a great God you are. But this world's not giving you the credit you deserve. This world doesn't recognize how great you are. We're not giving you what we owe you, and that is praise. But it's waiting for you. Have you ever wanted to praise God but not been sure how to? You know, sometimes when you're going through it, you just got to sit back and wait. I've literally had those thoughts during hard times in my life, like, Lord, I'm really hoping, and I I learned this from David, I'm really hoping soon that I get to praise your name for this. Praise waiteth for thee, O God. You know God's good. You know God's always good. You know, sometimes he doesn't get the credit he deserves and it's just because of our lack of knowledge of who he is and what he's doing and how it's going to turn out in the end that keeps us from giving him what we owe him. Amen. You know what's great about the millennium? He's going to be getting what, he owe, what he's owed. He's going to be getting plenty of praise. Praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Sion, and unto thee shall the vow be performed. You know, God the Father gave him a vow. God the Father told him what he's going to do with him. See, see what he went through to get there. But he went through it and he stayed with the Father and he has submitted to the Father all the way to the end and he nevertheless, not my will, but thine be, and if it be possible, and and yet he continued to submit to the Father and the Father said, listen, I'm going to give you a name that's above every name. You're going to rule on that throne. I'm going to have all the world's going to come and bow before you. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. I will exalt you so high, nothing will be above you. God the Father gave a vow to his son, Jesus Christ, and he will come through on that vow and praise is waiting for him from the whole earth but in the meanwhile you and I ought to be sharp enough to give him some praise now shouldn't we look at verse number 2 one of the reasons we should praise him is because he's a God who answers prayers O thou that hearest prayer unto thee shall all flesh come you know what God does he hears and answers prayers That is exactly why it's hard for you to pray. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't, does it? (laughs) Well, if God hears prayers, then that should make it like we want to pray more. Oh, no, 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 no. That's why the devil comes against you to stop you from prayer more than anything else that you do. The devil will resist you from having time in prayer. He'll try to keep you from getting to it. You know why? Because God hears your prayers and God will answer your prayers. And I praise his name for being a God that hears and answers prayers. What would we do without a God that listens to us? What would we do with an impotent God that could not respond to us, that could not move and work on our behalf, that could not hear what we're saying, that could not understand how we feel, that could not work in our lives? Hey, listen, thank God for a God that hears and answers prayers. And I just want to praise his name. I want to exalt him. I want to lift him up because I believe and know for a fact that God Almighty hears my prayers when I pray and he answers my prayers and I thank him for that. He's a great God and he hears the prayers of his people. And boy, that encourages my heart. It keeps me praying when I don't get the answers that I want. You see, praise is a commendation bestowed on a person for his personal virtues or worthy actions. Praise is a, a, it, it has to do with the meritorious actions of the person. It's an approbation expressed in word or in song. It's the expression of personal gratitude, watch it, for personal favors conferred. Praises personal gratitude for personal favors. 
Praise is giving somebody the, the commendation they deserve because of the actions they've taken. Has not God Almighty earned some praise from us? Has not Jesus Christ earned the right to say, hey, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for what you've done. Hey, I appreciate you and who you are and what you've done. Your actions have merited my praise. I mean, if all he ever did is just save your soul from hell, ain't that enough? But on top of that, man, he hears your prayers. He comforts your heart. He answers your prayers. I mean, what an amazing thing to pray for Grandma Ferguson and to watch her slowly but surely start to do better. A blessing. What an amazing thing to have people all over the all over the nation praying for my daughter. And you say, well, well, I mean, what good do the prayers do? She's not healed yet. Well, I don't know. We're about probably about a year to a year and a half ahead on the doctor's appointments. We've had doctors put under our belt already, already done, that it takes other people over a year to get through. We are cruising, and the faster you get those appointments and the faster you get things figured out, the better the long-term prognosis. So I don't know. God Almighty's answer in prayers, ain't he? Hey, I think he deserves a little praise for doing what he does. I think he deserves a little praise for hearing our prayers and for moving on our behalf. And God Almighty hears your prayers, so you need to be praying. Don't give up on your prayers. He deserves it. He hears them. Now, I'm not telling you he always answers the way you want him to. That's the tough part. I mean, I say, ask him maybe three times like Paul. And then if he says, no, my grace is sufficient for you, you got to assume that he knows better for you than you know for yourself, and you got to trust him that he's got your good in mind and go with it. But don't quit praying. If God doesn't tell you no, keep praying. You know what I find interesting? Jesus Christ himself, the perfect, sinless son of God, prayed. He was perfect and sinless. Don't you think us sinners need to be praying more? If the perfect, sinless son of God prayed, he didn't have to be praying. There wasn't confession going on. We need to be doing some confession. We'll get to that in just a second, right? I mean, I'd say we have more to pray about than him. I find it intriguing that the disciples came to Jesus Christ and they didn't say, Lord, teach us to preach. You know what they said when they came to the Lord? Hey, Lord, teach us to pray. They must have been seeing him do something. They must have been watching an example from Jesus Christ and saying, man, he's got the power of God on him. He's getting things done that other people can't get done. It must have something to do with his prayer life. We were all sleeping all night. He was up all night. The way God's moving in his life, we want a little bit of what he's got. So they weren't going and saying, oh, his preaching was so phenomenal that his preaching could teach me to preach like you preach. They must have been saying because of his prayer life, because of things unseen, God's moving and working in his life. That's my thought because they're human and they want what he's got, right? We want God to use us. God's using him. Hey, Lord, teach us to pray. It's a high priority. Jesus Christ stopped and taught them to pray, it was a high priority. It's a high priority for David. It's a high priority for Joseph. It's a high priority for Elijah. But we don't, we don't pray. Too busy. I wonder how much prayer changes the course of marriages and child rearing, changes the course of an individual's walk with Jesus Christ and the temptation to sin and falling into sin. I wonder how much prayer changes the course of people's lives, job decisions and financial decisions. And I wonder how much prayer really changes. I wonder how much of our failures are actually prayer failures. I'll bet you most of them. Man, I praise a God that can hear and answer prayers. The problem is, I just don't think I pray enough. You remember how Jesus Christ was trying to, the, the disciples were trying to cast the devil out and they couldn't do it? And the Lord's gone through and talked to them all about faith and how faith you can move mountains and all the rest of this stuff. And they said, why couldn't we cast this one out? He said, this kind cometh not out but by what? <laughs> you mean faith that can move mountains couldn't do it, but Jesus said prayer and fasting would? Folks, do you understand how much more we ought to be praying than we are? I wonder, I wonder if we prayed more for our lost loved ones, if they'd be under more conviction. I've taught you, haven't I, that the Lord only has to give them two witnesses to be just, creation and conscience. 
and that God can stop there if they don't respond to those two and be just. But what about the factor that if you keep asking God to stay on them, the Holy Spirit of God might keep convicting them and keep convicting them and keep convicting them in answer to your prayer when He was already done with them, but because you knew how to pray, God wouldn't give up on them because you wouldn't give up on them. He's a God who answers prayers. He hears prayers. Notice in verse number 3, He's a God that pardons. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, thou shalt purge them away. Man, I, I want to praise God tonight because He's a God that pardons. Amen. I appreciate a God that forgives me. I like forgiveness. You understand that? I like forgiveness. Do you know forgiveness heals the forgiver more than the forgivee? Hey, do you know that feeling? You had somebody that did you wrong? And you hold it against them? Kind of cherish that thing? You let that nasty, dirty feeling keep kind of like rotting in your soul? And you see them, you come by them, somebody brings their name up, or a friend of yours brings up their name in a positive sense? That dirty feeling's there? That, ugh. You know, forgiveness really helps you more than it even helps the person you're forgiving. Aren't you glad God forgave you? You know what iniquity is? Iniquity is injustice, unrighteousness, wickedness, a want of holiness, or depravity. Do you know what you got in you? Iniquity. Unholiness. You're going to sit there and tell me you're holy all the time? You're going, to, you're going to sit there and act like you never have a dirty thought or you, know, you smash your finger and you, the first thing you think is praise Jesus? You know what you need? You need a God that forgives iniquity because it's in you, just like it's in your preacher. It's in every man. It's natural to you. Iniquity is injustice. You ever unjust? You ever want God to judge somebody for something they did, especially if they did you wrong but forgive you for when you mess up? That's iniquity. You know, how, you know how unbalanced we all get? You'll crucify somebody you don't like for doing something, but you'll put up with something ten times worse from somebody you do like or somebody in your family or your little baby or your mama or your grandmama will be ten times worse than somebody else, but you'll, you'll cover up for your baby, but you won't cover up for your enemy, and they're not anywhere near as bad as your baby is. You know what that is? That's iniquity. It's unjust, it ain't fair, and it ain't right, but since you've got a vendetta against them, you want... The balance ain't... It's a false balance. You know what you need? You need God's forgiveness for that. I've had to ask God to forgive me for being a harsh judge on people, and then because I realized, like, man, you know what? When I was his age, I was worse than him. We lose our minds sometimes, don't we? Don't, don't we just get crazy? It's unbelievable to me. I remember having a little altercation with an older lady at one point. She was ripping on some younger girl. And I said, I said to her, just shut the conversation down. Because I said to her, I said, what were you like when you were 20? It's different when we're talking about my daughter-in-law. What were you like? Oh, you were the oh you you had it you were perfect you had it all together back then you know some people looking back think they did well I was never like that yes you were honey that was sarcasm sarcastic sarcasm it's injustice it's iniquity look at another one that word in verse number three transgressions what's that it's the act of passing over or beyond any law or rule of moral duty. The violation of a law or known principle of rectitude, a breach of command. In other words, you know it's wrong and you do it anyway. You cross over a line. Isn't it funny it's transgression? What do we call them nowadays? They're called what? Trans? You think that's a coincidence? Or does a book say that every idle word... That the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. And you stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, and he's going to say, well, we, I was trans. 
He's like, yeah, you got that from a King James Bible. That's transgression. And every time you said you were trans, you were confessing that you're a transgressor. You crossed over lines, boundaries that I set. Because you wanted to violate my laws, my rules, and go directly against my rules. Ain't that interesting? Have you ever done something wrong when you knew it was wrong and you did it anyways? That's a transgression. I know I need to pray, but I'm, I don't have time right now. You transgressed. I should read my Bible, but I, I need to go to church, but I don't feel like it. You knew to do right, and you didn't do it. The Holy Spirit said, give him a track, and you said, not going to do it. Holy Spirit says, I want you to be a preacher. You said, I don't want to be one. Holy Spirit says, you need to stop hanging out with those kids at school. Well, I like them. I don't want to be a weirdo. I don't want to get picked on. It's transgression. You know what I praise God for? He can and He will and He does forgive transgressions when you want Him to get right, when you want to get Him right, when you ask Him. He's a God that hears and answers prayer. Some of you have a hard time believing that God actually forgives you when He said He forgave you. How many times? I've, I've confessed this so many times. Keep confessing. You know my illustration already. You shower... Right? You know you're going to stink again tomorrow. But you shower anyways, right? That's getting right with Jesus Christ. That's 1 John 1, 9. That's saying, God, I'm sorry. Even if it's a habitual sin that keeps coming back to haunt you, you keep getting it right. Because he hears and answers prayer. He promised that he'd forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's a great God. I praise His name for that. I thank Him for that. Because if I didn't have that, I couldn't get it done. You understand that? There's no way if God didn't hear and answer prayers and forgive my sin, there's no way I could walk with Him. It's just not possible. But He forgives. He hears prayers. Notice something else in verse number 4. God promotes His people. It says, Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causest to approach unto thee that he may dwell in thy courts, we shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest. Well, you know who that man is, right? Doctrinally. That's Jesus Christ. Right? He's the one God chose. He's the one God's going to set up in the millennium. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He pleased the Father and thank God for that. But that thing also could apply to David. God liked him. God chose David. God picked him. Out of all his brothers, God picked David. He said, blessed is the man whom God chooses. God will promote you when God's ready. I want God to pick me, don't you? If God's going to use somebody, I want him to use me. Go go with me if we went to Psalm chapter number 56. Let me show you a little key to to being in that position. Psalm chapter number 56 and look at verse number 4. Psalm 56, 4. He says, In God will I praise His word. Talking about praising God tonight, right? Hey man, I praise Him because He answers prayers, but I praise Him also because He promotes His people. In God will I praise His word. In God have I put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. It's pretty bad, right? Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger, cast down, uh, in thine anger, cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. That's what the preacher was talking about uh, this week in the revival. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. Watch it. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. You know what he said twice in verse 4 and again in verse number 10? I, I praise God for his word. Now we're talking about God promoting his people, right? You want God to promote you? Let's just be honest. Let's not pretend. I want God to promote me. That doesn't mean I want necessarily more status or more recognition from people. I mean between me and God, I want to go to the next step. I don't want to be stuck in the same spot today that I was five years ago. And I don't want to be in the same spot five years from now that I am today between me and God. 
I want more prayers answered. I want more usefulness. I want to know more of my Bible. I want to help more people. I just want to please God more in every way. How am I going to do that? Well, God promotes His his servants, right? He's the one that can do it. But He does it through His Word. Brother Lentz always said this, and you'll, you'll know it when I start. God will always vindicate three things. His Word, His Son, Jesus Christ, and His true servant. Blessed is the man whom God chooses to approach unto him, right? You know why so many Christians are so miserable? Because they ain't getting any closer to God. You don't have any of that connection. You don't feel like God chose you for anything. And he has. It's up to you to draw unto him. Now, he doesn't pick everybody to reign as a king like David. He doesn't pick everybody to be a pastor, an evangelist, or a missionary, but he's picked every one of you to walk with him. He's picked every one of you to talk to him. He's picked every one of you for him to use and to bless and to guide and to to draw. God wants to promote you. He wants to lead you in your life. He wants to give you more truth. He wants to take care of you. He's a good father. You got to understand God promotes that book. And your relationship with God hinges on your relationship with his word because God always vindicates his word. He's not going to deal with you outside of that book. He said, in God, I'll praise his word. Then he says, there's all these people that are trying to hold me back and beat me down. Listen, folks, if other people are trying to get in your way and keep you down and, you know, at work or wherever else it is, they want the promotion and you're in their way in this world, they'll cut your throat, right? You know what you don't have to do? You don't have to worry about it. Because if God wants you promoted, God will promote you. There's nothing they can do to stop it. He, he, he parentheses all these people doing all this stuff between in God I'll praise His word and God I'll praise His word. I'm thankful for this book in front of me. Go to Psalm 138. Show you how God sees His word. Psalm 138. Look at verse 2. Well, look at verse 1. I will praise thee with my whole heart. Before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. Now watch it. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Are you kidding me? You mean God has magnified the Bible above all his name? That thing's pretty important to God. Blessed is the man whom God chooses. God promotes his people. God ain't going to promote you if you don't love that book. God ain't going to promote you if you don't listen to that Bible. God will not promote you if you won't play by the rules. You have to work your way up. You got to do it the right way, the long, slow, hard way, according to the book. When the Bible corrects you, you got to get it right. When the Bible tells you to start doing something, you start. When it tells you to stop doing something, you stop. You trust the Bible above your emotions, above your experiences, above what you're going through, above what you see, above what you think you know. You trust that book because it's God's book and it means something to God Almighty and God chooses a man that'll choose that book. But you correct that book, reject that book, don't listen to that book, aren't interested in that book, don't read it, won't listen to the preaching of it, won't be corrected by it, God ain't going to promote you. You're on your own, joker. Enjoy your life. And I hope it works out for you. And I'm here to tell you, it ain't. It's a sinful world, it ain't going to work out for you. It's a hard world and it's a hard life. I want a God drawing me close. I want a God getting me through. He'll do it by that book. Go back to Psalm 65, please. God promotes his men. Blessed is the man whom thou choosest and causes to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. You know what? This place is a good place. I know this isn't a temple. I, I get all that, but you get the application. It's a good place. I, I love being here. I love God's people. Can I tell you God's people have broke my heart more than once? I mean, bad I've had chances to quit church because of what people have done and said and things that have happened and plenty of them. I've been to plenty of meetings where I left worse off than I was when I came. 
because of people, because of their stinking mouths, because of their stinking agendas. I know all about being bitter towards church and bitter towards people and how stupid people can be. And if that's how church is, I'm not going anymore. And how could a saved person treat people like I know all about all that stuff. I mean, I've, I've, forgotten, I've forgotten more than I can even remember. I, I, that saying is I've forgotten more than you've learned, but I don't want to be that way. I, I know all about it. But I'm telling you tonight, the best place you can ever be is with God's people. You want God to draw you close, then you need to get around people that care enough about God to be where God is and to come hear the preaching of the Word of God that are putting the Bible first and Jesus Christ first. You get around those people, and when they hurt you, forgive them. When they do you wrong, let it go. Get it right. Keep moving on. Don't let the devil drive a wedge between you and the place where we gather to worship Jesus Christ, to praise His name, to learn more about Him, to hear His Word preached, to fellowship. Hang in there and don't quit. People are just people. Give them a break. Greatest thing in the world. I'm telling you, the greatest thing in the world is God's people. You know what we want to teach our kids? We want to teach our kids, when the going gets rough, get closer to church. You know, they always talk about support group, and you need a support group. Oh, you've got a great support group around you. You don't even know a support group until you know a bunch of saved people that love Jesus Christ and love each other. It's amazing. You want to be one that God draws close? Folks, this is where he does it. Do you know how many times I've heard, well, I can worship God out in the, on the deer blind just like I can in the church. I worship God out on the lake just like I can in a pew. Well, no, you can't. It's totally different. And it ain't biblical. That's how I know I'm right. I'm not saying you can't worship. You can worship God, but not just like you can here. This is different, and this is something God expects of us. He told us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. This is somewhere God wants you to be, and when God looks to promote somebody, he's going to find somebody on the job, not somebody out in the deer blind. He's going to pick somebody from these pews. He said, Blessed is he whom the Lord chooses, who causes to approach unto thee, that he may dwell in thy courts. Man, I like church. We just spent a bunch of time in church last week. It was exhausting, wasn't it, physically? I sure do like it. That's something about it. I don't even know how to put it into words. You just got to experience it. It's a blessing. We should be satisfied with the goodness of thy house, even of thy holy temple. Man, if church is good in this world with a bunch of sinners, can you imagine what it's going to be like in the millennium? You, you can't. You've never, you've, never, you've never spent one second in that environment. Every second of your life has been in a sin-cursed world. Everything you know is based on that. We just get a little tiny taste of it over here. Just, just a little taste, a little through a glass darkly of what it might be like over there. He promotes his people, but he doesn't promote them outside of his word and he won't promote them outside of his son. I praise his name for that. I love serving the Lord because it gives me... I like goals. Do you understand what I'm saying? I like hope. I like feeling like this isn't it, there's more. It gives me that hope. It gives me vision. Look at the last thing. And you'll see them all together in verses 5 through 13. We're not going to go through each verse individually, but I want to just point out a couple of things. I praise the Lord because His promises are preserved. He says in verse 5, By terrible things in righteousness wilt thou answer us, O God of our salvation, who art the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of them that are afar off upon the sea, which by His strength set us fast the mountains, being girded with power, which stilleth the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the people. You know, God has made some promises to us. You know what I like about God? I praise Him for. When God promises you something, He's going to do it. <coughs> Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. God tells you if you sow to your flesh, it's going to get you. He that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
Godliness is profitable unto life that now is and that which is to come. He's got some promises in that book. When God gives you a promise, God's going to do it. It has been 2,000 years since he promised his son that he's going to reign and he hasn't done it yet. But that doesn't mean that God ain't going to do it. When God tells you he's going to do something, God's going to do it. God's given me some things between me and him that I'm not going to spell out or go into because you can't compare these things between each other. But I will tell you this much. I've read my Bible. God showed me some things in my devotions in answer to a question that I had, in answer to some concerns that I've had. God showed me things and I said, that's it. That's what God's going to do. And then for years it never happened, but I never forgot that passage that God showed me when God told me God was going to do something. And years later, more than once, God showed me God was going to do something, and I kept it to myself, and God did it. Because when God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. You got promises all over this book, and I'm not talking about name it and claim it. I'm not talking about you having an emotional experience. That's why God showed me God wants me to be, and it's between you and God. Keep it between you and God, because the only proof it was God is that it comes to pass eventually. You understand that? But there's promises in this Bible that are for every last one of us. Every last one of you. And boy, God keeps his promises. I'm so grateful for that. If I didn't know for a fact God keeps his promises, I'd have quit a hundred times over. One of the things I love about God is His correction. By terrible things in righteousness wilt thou answer us, O God of our salvation. Correction is not always like, you know, you're you're whooping somebody. Correction can be, I'm kind of going this way, and God wants me to go that way. It's It's just a correction. When you say correction, you and I in the flesh, your natural response to the word correction is, oh, you know, don't correct me. It's like, it's like a rebuke, right? It's like a, why do you got to correct me all the time? But honestly, correction isn't necessarily even like that. It's like, hey, you're doing that wrong. Let, let me show you how to do that better. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you know what I appreciate about God? He corrects us. Yeah. I need correcting. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't think anybody understands how badly I need correcting. I get it that I need, I know how far off I can get. I realize that I got things in my personality and the way my mind works and my upbringing, whatever it might be, whatever goes into making an individual who they are and what they are and what they're good at and what they're not good at and all that. There's stuff about us that's always lacking. I want God to correct me. By terrible things in righteousness, I want God to show me what I need to see so I can get straightened up and get better at serving Jesus Christ. She promised till death do us part for better or worse. I got her. (laughs) Right? And then we bring four girls into the world. They're stuck. If I never see them again, they would forever be impacted by the fact that I was part of bringing them into this world. I'm their dad. Now you think about that for a minute. I have a tremendous ability to impact other people for good or bad and there's nothing that they can do about it if I choose for bad. They're helpless. And I can be a knucklehead if I want and be stubborn if I want and refuse to be cross just the way I am if I want. Or I can get on my face and say, God, you're a great God. And I realize I got some blind spots. Do you know sometimes it's just your blind spots? It's not the fact that you're an idiot. It's just the fact that you got some blind spots. Man, what a great God that he would love you and love me enough to correct us in righteousness. And show us where we can make some changes to maybe make our marriage better, to maybe be a better dad, to give my kids a better life. You know, honestly, the amount of time almost every one of you that's in here has been in this church, you've been here long enough now to where if I got stupid, you'd be hurt on some level. I mean, I think you love me enough and love this church enough, you've been here long enough to where on some level, 
my stupidity could impact a lot of people. Think about that. Or my blind spots could hold us back. Or God could show up and say, hey, how about making some corrections to the way you do things so that everybody can benefit? You think about that for a little bit. Man, what a God. What a God that He would help you parent your children. What a God that He would help you love your spouse. What a God that He would help you with your extended family. What a God that He would help you on your job. What a God that He would develop you and keep loving you and keep trying to help you grow, keep trying to make you fruitful, to allow you to bring forth fruit, promise to never leave you or forsake you, and say, if you stick with me, abide in me, and you'll bring forth much fruit. What a God, man. What a God. I don't feel like I, 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 I give Him or offer Him anything. He's God, <laughs> What am I really giving him? What benefit does he get out of this relationship? And yet he continually invests in me. His correction. I thank him for it, but look at the confidence in verse 5 and we're done. Who art the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of them that are far off upon the sea. Man, I'm thankful for a confidence I can have in God. Look at his strength. By his strength set us fast the mountains being girded with power. Man, it's nice having a God you're confident in His strength. Because times will come when your strength will fail you. I promise. What a God that can sustain you when you're too weak to sustain yourself. Look at verse number, uh, look at verse number 9. It's steadiness. Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou, hast provide, when thou hast so provided for it. Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the furrows. Thou makest it soft with showers. Thou blessest the spring. Crownest the year with good. Look at, all, look at all that God's doing all the time. The little hills are rejoicing. The pastures of the wilderness. The pastures are clothed with flocks. This is the millennium is what it's going to look like. And in the meanwhile, he still does. I mean, I don't, I don't like the rainy days, but man, Michigan's awful beautiful when it's green. You know, you could live in the desert and you wouldn't ever have to see any rain. Then you don't get to see any of these green, beautiful... I, mean, look at the, I don't like winter coming, but look at how beautiful it is in the fall. God, you know, God is God steady. He's steady. He's a Mr. Steady. He's always there. He's always faithful. He's always consistent. He's always taking care of what He promised He'd take care of. Close with me, if you would, in Matthew chapter 6. We're not even going to come back here. I want you to see this in Matthew chapter number 6. He's worthy to be praised, folks. He's done some things and he continues to do some things and he will continue to do some things that merits some accolades on our part towards God. Matthew chapter number 6, look at verse number 26. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. In other words, science still hasn't figured out how those lilies in the valley are Lilies of the field are actually clothed. So Solomon in all his glory wasn't arrayed like that. God clothes those things and there's more to what you're seeing when a flower blooms than what you can even understand. Verse 30, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of, those things, of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You know what he's saying in conclusion tonight? He's saying God takes care of those birds. God takes care of those flowers. God takes care of all the little animals running around. God clothes the grass of the field. Isn't that wild? Man, I'm getting so old and soft, the squirrel ran out in front of the car and I hit the brakes, I didn't want to run it over. 
Because I'm like, God might have got mad at me for running that squirrel over because God knows that squirrel's name. We go for a walk together and there's a particular squirrel that likes grace. It's the same one every time, same area, and it's passing its, its route. We notice we know their route now. She's like, it goes here, it goes to that tree, it cuts across the road behind us when we walk. Every day it's going that way. And that little thing will come up there, and when he sees her, he runs up to the edge, and he kind of like dances around, and goes back and comes back, and he'll cross over, and he'll do the same thing on the other side. She's, she gets down there, come here, and he gets, she gets so close to him. She's like, God knows his name. He's got good taste. He likes her, but not me. I don't blame him. God cares about the squirrel. God cares about a bird. God cares about the way you treat your dog. There's a, book, there's a verse in the Bible about it. A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. God cares how you treat your dog. If your fish's fish tank hasn't been cleaned in a while, God knows it. I was like, man, that poor thing can't hardly breathe. That poor thing's suffocating. You think about that for a minute. And he says, if I care about the grass of the field and the birds of the air, don't you think I care about you? Ain't that a good God? He says, don't worry about tomorrow. There's plenty of problems coming tomorrow. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. What he's saying is, the evil of tomorrow is going to come, but I'm already in tomorrow. So enjoy today. Relax today. Don't worry about tomorrow today. Put me first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And I will take care of everything else. I'm not old. But I'm at a point where I'm realizing in my life that life doesn't get easier. I sat there and held Grandma Ferguson's hand. Beside her bed. And listen to her say, I just want to be obedient, honey. I just want to be obedient. I just want to do whatever he wants me to do. I want him to be happy with me. And I'm watching her and I'm thinking, like, all she's been through, buried her husband. All these years, it still has a smile, still has a laugh, still wants to please God. Life doesn't get any easier. Fears in the night from four to six is the worst time. Why? Well, according to the Bible, that comes with age. I don't want to get old, but I can't stop it. Yeah, life's probably going to get harder, but you know what? There's somebody that's already been in my tomorrow, and he's got it covered. And if I'll seek him first, I know he'll take care of all the rest. He's worthy to be praised. All right, let's go ahead and be dismissed tonight in a word of prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for being such a great God. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for being worthy to be praised.